So this is our last lesson for Advent or for this theme that we've been talking about, revenge and forgiveness. And uh, before we begin today, <clears throat> I want to have uh, a couple of quick responses to some of the comments slash questions that came in on Menti this last week. One of the questions was, why do we follow the church calendar? Why do we do this Advent thing? Because as we are rethinking our religion, we're realizing how old and stuck our religion has got. And when you just come and celebrate Advent, it seems like that's just adding on to that thing. What's the whole point? And I was really glad that question came in because it doesn't just apply to Advent or to the church calendar. It kind of applies to a whole host of things. Why, when we have reframed God in our mind, why do we sing Christmas carols that have the framing of God in the old uh, framework? And why do we pray when we have reframed our understanding in at all when we are going through this process? Or what about the Bible? Or what about and what about and what about and what about? And so it is a really important question. And I'm going to do a lesson in uh, the new year on what common thread means to me. And I think in the process of doing that lesson, we will talk about what is the place of the old uh, understanding of our religious tradition and the new understanding of our religious tradition. What's it like to be living through a Reformation generation? What do you hold on to? What do you let go of and why? So we'll be talking about that. So hopefully whoever submitted that one will address that in the new year. Another question that came in was, what is more difficult to forgive? Is it more difficult to forgive ourselves or is it more difficult to forgive someone else? Now, what we saw last week was that the two build on one another. And then what we're going to see today, you realize that they are both part of an interconnected whole. What we are doing when we are forgiving ourselves is the exact same thing we are doing when we are forgiving someone else and vice versa. So the interior infrastructure that we access to be able to do one or the other, one and the other, is the same. So they're both, they're just two sides of the same coin. But I don't think that's what the question was trying to get at. I suspect the question was trying to get at the issue of magnitude. In theory, yes, it's true that forgiving self and forgiving another, they're the same practice. But we all know from experience, it's a lot harder to forgive ourselves and to forgive another person when it's a forgiveness for a really big thing. It's much more difficult to forgive ourselves or other when there is a lot of pain involved or there has been deep or sustained damage. And yes, the pattern of forgiving self and forgiving the other might be the same, but let's not fool ourselves. It's much harder to find the interior space of grace. It's much harder to find an interior space of understanding when we are in a lot of pain or when we have caused a lot of pain. And so that's really true. But even though that is very true, it is the same pattern. When we are forgiving ourselves, when we are forgiving others, it is a pattern that we are following. And that makes it an issue of following that pattern in smaller levels of magnitude that make us able to follow that pattern in larger levels of magnitude. So in other words, it is like a muscle that we develop. It is like a capacity that we develop within ourselves. And we do it in a small way, that pattern. And then we find ourselves, because we have done it in that small pattern, able to do it in a slightly larger pattern, 
and then a larger pattern, and then larger still after that. So what we don't do very well, we, we certainly try, but we don't do it very well, is we don't start that pattern with the knock-us-down magnitude kinds of hurts. We do much better if we start small. And if we can find that interior space of light here, in this place, if we can see differently there, in that context, if we can access that deeper part of ourselves in this smaller way, and if we are patient with ourselves while we are doing it, it becomes a grow-into kind of affair. We allow ourselves the space to grow into this interior capacity that we'll be talking about today. That's why over the first weeks of Advent, when we were doing the loving-kindness meditation, we started off with an area that is easy to access that interior space. And then we expand it to harder and harder areas because it is like a muscle that can be developed over time. The way Jesus said it is we practice with little things, and then by practicing with those little things, we ourselves are expanded, and we find ourselves capable of doing greater things. You do the spiritual practices long enough, and often what happens is that we look up and we're able to say with authenticity, who knew when it happened? I just find myself able to extend grace. I find myself able to forgive for the hurt. I find myself able to do something that I was previously unable to do. And so forgiveness isn't something a should, ought, supposed to approach will do very well at. It just doesn't work that well. You can should and ought and supposed to all you want, but it isn't really going to work until we develop the interior space. That's how we get to magnitude. All right, a couple of things from Menti. So now let's start today's lesson. There was another Menti question, which I think we'll address as we go through the lesson today, which was, could you help unpack a little bit what you mean when you talk about shadow side or when you talk about false self? Hopefully that'll become clear. So, um, during Song's meditations, although we didn't do a meditation this morning, I mentioned that we tend to think of grace for someone else, understanding of someone else, mercy for someone else. We tend to think of that as something that happens and something that we do and something that can be positioned perhaps on a day in the week that we might say, I forgave this person on Thursday at 11 o'clock. That's when I forgave my coworker. That's when I extended grace to my spouse. That's when I was understanding of the failure of my child. But Jesus says that when we go about approaching forgiving someone who has failed, we don't do it seven times, but we do it 70 times seven So now we're talking about a math problem. Now we start talking about what is 7 times 70? What's that, 490? Whoa, Jesus, 490 times? That's a lot, Jesus. It really is. But, you know, I want nothing if not faithful me, so let me go out and try and do that. It's a heroic endeavor, but I'm setting myself to that heroic endeavor. Here I go, and now finally, it was a lot of work, but I hit 490. Now I'm done. I no longer have to forgive this person. And I don't think it's really that way. I think what Jesus is referencing kind of depends on a previous understanding of the whole approach that Jesus took to everything 
and that is that there is a starting point for this whole spiritual journey, and it is this, that the divine is in you and me. The divine is in all of us. The interior light, all of us. There is a place within that, as we say, is made of the same stuff God is made of. And when we access that place, forgiveness just is. Grace just is. Grace is not something that we do or not do not do on any given day. It's more of a reality within ourselves that we access or do not access. And when we don't access it, it's still there. It never leaves us. It is always present inside us because the interior light is always there. So that's what we mean when we use these words that are trying to explain concepts like shadow self or false self. That there is a part of us that does not access the interior light. There is a part of us that does not draw from our deepest and truest selves. And it is in there. And you know, like I do, that we access that part of ourselves all the time. We fail to access the interior light within us, the better angels, some would call it, uh, within ourselves. We fail to do that on a regular basis because, as we've seen, brain tricks because as we've seen, the limits of our natural selection instincts, because the, uh, <clears throat> we've got this other part of us inside, Paul called it sin nature. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about shadow or false self. There's an instinct-driven version of self. And it often blinds us to the inner light. It often blinds us to the inner presence to the indwelling fruit of the divine spirit. And that's the beginning point to begin thinking about grace and forgiveness. Because that limited version of self, the instinct self, the shadow self, it evolved a payback strategy way, way back when we were living in hunter-gatherer bands, it was the only way that we could protect ourselves from future harm. And so it got etched into our instinctive brain parts, and it is there. And yes, it might be the false self, but it sure feels real. It is part of that version of self that isn't necessarily designed to discern truth, but it's designed to help us get our genes passed along to the next generation. And so it's in there, always ready to go at a moment's notice. But also in there is another part of us, a deeper part of us. Philosophers might call it the higher self. Psychologists might call it the superego. In the spiritual tradition, we'd call it the spirit nature or the divine center self. And when we access that part of ourselves the part that is made of this mysterious reality that we call divine or spirit. We have to use code words to talk about it. That's why we resort to spirit or God or the divine. We talk about those parts of us that reflect the very image of God. Now, remember what we've been saying, that forgiveness is to God as shine is to sun? Well, if we access that divine part within us, the interior light within us, that's true of us as well. Then it becomes that forgiveness is to us as shine is to sun. An inextricable part of our being. It is. Forgiveness is. 
Grace is. Mercy is. And it is in us. Well, that makes grace, that makes forgiveness not a Thursday at 11 o'clock kind of transaction. Not when we forgive ourselves and not when we forgive someone who has hurt us. It is that. It does happen Thursday at 11 o'clock, but that happens in a after-the-fact, working-it-out kind of way. Before we can forgive authentically at 11 o'clock, we must first begin to see differently. We must first begin to see ourselves differently, begin to see the other differently. And we do that different kind of seeing when we access that deeper part of who we are. 70 times 7 isn't a number, it's a way of seeing. It's rooted in a way of being. So when we ask ourselves, how do I forgive myself? Or how do I forgive someone who has harmed me? It starts with access. How well do we reach into that deeper part of us, the part that is always there, where forgiveness just is? It starts with access. And when we do, when we get there, when we access that part of us, we see differently. We understand more deeply. We're able to move beyond that part of us that surges with chemicals and causes us to fall back into the old rehearsed stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves, about other people, about the way the world is. We move past those narratives and we settle into that place of inner light being where, among other things, forgiveness just is. So, it turns out, forgiveness for self or for the other isn't first a doing it kind of thing. It is a doing it kind of thing, but that comes second. As a matter of fact, if we've done the first thing first, then the doing it kind of thing kind of follows quite naturally. Kind of like gravity, just like falling off a log. We, we do the thing easier when we've done the thing first. The hard work isn't the forgiving. The hard work is the accessing. Getting to that place inside of us where divine light is, getting to that place inside of us where forgiveness just is. How do we forgive ourselves? How do we forgive those who have harmed us? We do the digging inside, tilling the soil work. We do that, and then we quite naturally experience the harvest of our work and can do it on a Thursday at 11 o'clock. That's how. That's how we forgive someone who's harmed us. That's how we forgive ourselves. We do the things that generations have done before us to access the interior light of the divine. We do the things that generations before us have done to find that place within where forgiveness just is. So when we start back in January to our working the circle curriculum and we engage again in the communal practices and the contemplative and the learning and the serving, here's what we won't be talking about. We won't be talking about forgiving ourselves. We won't be talking about forgiving someone who has harmed us. We won't say anything about grace or mercy or understanding. We'll be talking about access. But in the process of talking about access to the inner light, we will be working on grace We will be working on mercy. We will be working on forgiveness. Now, on the other hand, the revenge instinct 
is a different story altogether. Revenge or payback or withholding or grudge holding or icy cold shouldering, that's always a Thursday at 11 o'clock kind of thing. Because all you need to do to access that part of ourselves, all we need to do, is to not access the deeper part of ourselves. Revenge chemicals surge through our bodies and our brains unbidden. We don't ask them to show up. They're always there, and they are ready to oblige any time we want them. Passive-aggressive withholding, always there, always ready to go. Icy recrimination, always there, always ready to go. We don't need to dig deep to find those. They are the default setting when we don't access the deeper part of who we are. That's why we till the soil. That's why we dig more deeply, because we're looking to deepen our connection to the interior divine so we don't live at the basest form of life. We challenge the false self. We weaken the habituated power of our thoughts and our words and our actions. And then we look up one day and we realize, didn't even know it was going to happen, we did forgive ourselves. We till the soil, we dig for that deeper access, and then we look up one day and we realize, I have forgiven the one who harmed me. I didn't have to do it on a Thursday at 11. It happened when I was tilling the soil of my soul. But when we're doing that, when we're walking that process, probably the most beautiful thing that happens is that when we are in the moment and our brain does what our brain does, and it surges those kind of chemical impulses that create the feelings that bring up the stories that cause the words and the actions and the feelings. In that moment, we are more able to access that which is also in us. In that moment, we can bring understanding because that has begun to be habituated, and we can extend grace because of that has begun to be habituated. We have changed how we see people, how we see ourselves and how we see reality. And that different seeing, that changes everything. So how do we forgive ourselves and how do we forgive one another? We find the interior light because it just is forgiveness. Now before we finish the whole lesson as well as today. I want to talk about something that comes up every time we talk about forgiveness. Because uh, those of us that study the Enneagram realize that our personalities kind of all cluster into groups. And there's one particular group that's about a third of the personalities. And these people have an extraordinary gift. And these people are very compassionate. And these people are very much able to absorb small indiscretions in other people, able to overlook failures and shortcomings in other people, and it is a gift. They're gifted at being able to extend grace, gifted at being able to extend understanding. But here's what we've learned along the way. Everybody has a gift, and all of that gift is just the flip side of the curse. You did not have the option not to have a curse, because as soon as you had a gift, you had a curse that came along with it. It's just doing the same thing, only doing it in a different context, doing it too much, too little, and it is the same continuum. The curse side of this compassionate gift, the curse side of this merciful gift, the curse side of this gracious gift 
is not knowing when to take care of self, when to protect self from future harm. The curse is the inner narrative that says something along the lines of, if I was a good person, then I would take it on the chin just a little bit longer. If I was a good person, then I'd keep letting this person hurt me just a little bit longer. So before we leave this talk, the topic, I want to remember where we began. Hopefully, I have said to you, revenge is a bad life strategy. Boy, is it wired into our heads. It's not going to work. But I want to go back to the very beginning where we started this lesson and remind us that revenge is an ancient evolutionary strategy that helps us survive. It's there for a reason. And that reason is to protect us from harm. And while it has been proven again and again that it's really bad at the job, it actually increases our risk of harm, it was still serving an important function. We do need to be protected from future harm. We do need to know when to be on guard against bad behavior. We do need to be skilled at drawing effective boundaries. And we need to be able to do so without having to muster a steam, a head of steam that comes out as anger or comes out as vindictiveness or even can come out as hatred. We have to be able to set effective boundaries in real time in a healthy, non-vindictive way. So when our tradition suggests that payback is not a very good way to achieve security, that it doesn't do a good job of making us safe, that there are better strategies than that, like listening to hear, like seeking to understand, and the interior posture that makes us curious about the other instead of painting the other as the dangerous outsider, painting them with the stripe that says they are different than we are, instead of all of those things that we've explored. When our tradition lays out and says there is a better way than revenge, many, many better ways to protect yourself from future harm, that wisdom exists in this context. And it is the starting assumption that we will honor the purpose of revenge without having to exact revenge. We honor the purpose of revenge without having to default to vilification or default to hatred or to default to resentment. We must honor that deeply human mandate to survive and to thrive. We must honor that mandate to be protected from harm. When we find the interior light, when we access those better tools, it assumes that we are working on behalf of the whole, not just the part. And we are a part of the whole. We ourselves exist in the whole toward the betterment of which we work together. It assumes that we ourselves are part of the earth, which means that we ourselves are to be protected and respected. So if you have that personality mix that makes you really good at grace but not so good at boundaries, hear this. When we find the inner light and when we are able to see through the lens of grace and understanding of the other, it does so much to allow us to be participants in bettering the world. It is such a powerful tool. It is so far superior to revenge and payback. But that does not mean that we subject ourselves to harm. Once a person has proven themselves to be untrustworthy, 
and you access the interior light of grace and understanding, that does not make that person become trustworthy. Grace and forgiveness is a lens for looking that changes the world. And it actually invites that person to engage in a process that could eventually make them trustworthy. But that doesn't mean that they have become trustworthy. It is not a mandate to allow ourselves to be subjected to further harm and do it again and do it again. What our tradition teaches us is that there is a third way. Jesus laid this out for us. Gandhi then, uh, in, in, it was popularized, it's happened hundreds of times, but Gandhi popularized it and then Martin Luther King popularized it. And the third way is to say, Jesus said, here's what the zealots did. The zealots said, okay, Roman Empire, we're not going to put up with this anymore. We're going we're gonna to revenge. We're going to slice your throats. We're going to do everything we can to fight you. Didn't work as well because they were facing a superior enemy. Here's what the Herodians did. They said, okay, Rome, we're going to go along and get along and get a little slice in the process. It's going to work for us, and we're just going to put up with a lack of freedom and lack of aspiration. Yeah, we're not going to do that, but we're going to go along. We're going to be fine. We're just going to be quiet. That's what we'll do. And Jesus said, neither of those will do. We cannot be subjected to harm, and we cannot be perpetrators of harm. And the third way is then to be able to move in to say, how creative can we become in bringing about the restoration of good for the whole, of which we are part, but of which you are also part? How do we work on behalf of the good of you and the good of me and do that as part of a comprehensive whole. If we're going to follow Jesus, we're about creating a just and equitable world, a world in which we exist ourselves. We are about making right what has gone wrong, even when that wrong is focused toward us. Forgiving is not forgetting. Forgiving is seeing differently. Forgiving is accessing a deeper part of us. And in that state of being, we become more able to be creative, more able to find that third way, more able to get past of our surging emotional reactionary responses and work toward the world that is right for all, including self and the other. So it is quite possible to access grace and forgiveness for one who has harmed us, but not grant them access to our vulnerable spaces ever again. It is quite possible to access grace and forgiveness for one who has harmed us, but not trust them or entrust our precious selves to them. Forgiveness is powerful. It changes us by granting us access to the divine within that way that for all of history has changed the world. And it proves again and again to be transformative in ourselves and in our homes and in our neighborhoods and our schools and in our worlds, but it is not an invitation to surrender ourselves willy-nilly to harm. Now, if I had longer, I would give several examples of how creative this tension makes us. When we enter into the tension between not hating you or not revenging you and caring for myself as part of the whole. When we live in that tension, it tends to make us extraordinarily creative. 
And when we get that kind of creative, we start thinking outside of the simple zealot approach or the simple Herodian approach. And we figure out how through the centuries we've been able to bring about change in a way that is non-revenge oriented. But let me just reference two places that you might go to read about this. There's a book out there. It's called Nonviolent Communication. It's a great place to start. Good read. Everybody ought to read that. But then you also ought to read about nonviolent resistance because what nonviolent resistance says is it's not right for you to be in a position where you are causing harm to me or to anyone else. And so I'm not going to rest as long as you're perpetrating harm. But I'm not going to come at you with hatred and I'm not going to come back you with pay. I'm not going to come at you with payback. I'm going to find some creative ways to make you uncomfortable doing what is wrong because it is good for you. It's good for me, but it's also good for you. And how do we do that? And you hear Martin Luther King say that all the time. It's not good for the, the white establishment to be perpetrating this. It's not good for them. It's not good for us. They've been indoctrinated into a way of hatred. That's harmful to them, to their lives, to their souls. And so we see that kind of creativity being lived out throughout history when we take up the seriousness of this tension, that we don't resort to the revenge instinct. We don't resort to our built-in automated instincts. But neither do we tolerate injustice. Neither do we sit still and let harm be done. So that's what our lesson hopefully teaches us That's what our tradition teaches us and indwelling spirit of God. May we access the divine light that is deep within us. And we say those words all the time. We pray those words all the time, but may they be for us, not just words, but may they be pointers toward an experience. What does it mean that we access the divine light? What does it mean that we are able to forgive in a way we could not forgive? What does it mean that we are able to see in a way we had not seen. May that be our experience. That's our prayer today. Be it so among us as we follow Jesus. Amen.